Well, I've been preaching for nine years almost here. February will make nine years. And today marks a first for me. And I bet nobody can guess what it is. It's the first Sunday morning I've preached without a cup of coffee before. Some of y'all know we're in the H2O Project, and uh, the H2O Project is about giving up every beverage but water for a period of just 10 days. And anything you save just goes to Living Water International to provide clean water for people who have no access. Uh, Michael said in the video last week, many people die uh, every day as a result of dirty water. And we take it for granted to go to the tap and just fill it up, buy beverages, bottled water, or whatever. And so I want to encourage you, even if, if you failed this last week miserably, uh, you got three more days to redeem yourself. And many people have asked questions such as, you know, is it okay to have one cup of coffee in the morning? Or... You know, can I still, you know, can I just give money and not do the fast or whatever? You can do whatever you want to, all right? This is not legalistic, but I do encourage you to make some effort to participate in the fasting aspect of this. It's good for you. It's good to give up something. And when you refuse that beverage, Michelle was saying anytime she gets an urge for a cup of coffee, she prays for somebody specifically during that time. And so there's lots of opportunities to use your desire for what you, you know, these beverages for a good thing, and if you get your cup of coffee in the morning, no big deal. It's not the end of the world, all right? And so uh, I hope you'll participate. Jump back in, even if it's just three days. We're in the Lent season, and so um, maybe you can consider doing that. I'm glad we didn't have to give up chocolate, all right? That's the one I would have had the hardest time with. I mean, I love uh, chocolate of all varieties and kinds, and uh, my mom had a uh, peanut butter fudge recipe that I absolutely loved, and man, when she made that, you know, we would just devour that stuff. And that fudge recipe came from my grandmother, who passed it down to my mom. And it, it's just, uh, it's, my, our kids love it as well. And it's just a really good thing. But you know what? I don't want my legacy to be how good a fudge I make, right? You know, I don't want that to be at the end of my life, like this lady Kay, uh, that uh, her, her tombstone, here lies Kay, right? She, she made awesome fudge, all right? Uh, with, is that what you want to be known for? And, like, your, your secret recipe is on your tombstone. Seems crazy, right, that that would be the legacy that you would want in your life? And maybe that one's far-fetched for you, but maybe this next guy, Joel, I think his name is, maybe this one's more to you can relate to. His legacy is golf, right? I mean, he was known for his golf game. and never got that hole-in-one until right at the end, right? And, and, and so 
what's your legacy? I mean, think about it for a second. These are kind of silly, and it's really sad that people would want those things on their tombstone probably. But the older I get, the more I realize that if something doesn't lead me to a deeper affection for Jesus, it's useless. If something doesn't lead me to a deeper affection for Jesus, it's useless. And now, can golf lead you to a deeper relationship with Jesus? Absolutely, it could. It could um, making fudge lead you to a, a, a deeper relationship with Jesus. It could. You're thinking, how in the world? Maybe you have the gift of, gift of hospitality and you just make it and give it away, or you use your golf outings as a chance to just lift up Jesus to your golfing buddies. I mean, you got them for like four hours, right, out there. It might not be so much good for your wife, but guys, but it's, uh, it's definitely could be good for these relationships you're building. And so it's a mindset thing where we have to understand that what matters in this life and what we pass on after this life only matters if it has kingdom value and kingdom purpose. And so does it generate a deeper affection for Jesus in your life? Think about it. Think about legacy for a second. How many of you can name your grandmother's middle name? Raise your hand. Can you name your, honestly, raise your hand. All right, how about your great-grandmother? Keep it up. So one, two, three, four, five. You see, even a few generations later in your own family, names are forgotten. Many of you probably don't even know your great-grandmother's real name. And so we put all of these emphasis on things in our life, but after we're gone, nobody remembers. Our family even forgets our name. And so the, the point of this series is, what do you want to leave behind? What do you want to leave behind? And here's the truth. If you are a true believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you, Scripture says, not me, Scripture says, and he is working tirelessly to draw you closer to Christ and to empower you to use your gifts to serve him and serve others. The Holy Spirit is prompting you through his word, through preaching, through messages you hear, through even a friend who keeps reminding you of the important things in life, the Holy Spirit, if, if you're a believer, a true believer, is working overtime to draw you closer to Jesus and make you desire to love other people more. And it starts in your home, we're going to see today. It goes out into our city, into those relationships, the golf course, taking fudge to people at work. And even in our world, we say helping each other know and follow Jesus. That's our mission statement in our home, in our city, in our world. Now, the world one may be a little tougher. You think, how do we help with the world at large? Well, I want to show you a, a picture of Buzz Beecham's, um, uh, what he got our church here to do with a project over in Bolo, Liberia. Bolo, Liberia is a place so small, I couldn't even find it on Google Maps. But he told us about a need there, that some people went and gave Operation Christmas Child boxes to this village and saw that they had no church building. He asked, can we collect an offering to help them build a church building? Well, we collected, I can't remember, $1,500 or something like that, building a church building. They broke ground because of the donations, the, the gifts that you gave to make a difference in the world. And so that's what I'm talking about, a legacy. There is going to be a building built where a church can gather in Bolo, Liberia, where none of us will ever go to impact for the kingdom. That's awesome. That's great. And so in this series, I want us to just see that the deeper our affection is for Jesus, the greater impact we can have on others for God's glory and their eternal good. 
The more our, we have affection for Jesus, and it starts with knowing him, and it, and it flows out of our life into our home, into our city, and then even into our world. And in that, we can make an impact for eternity, and that can be an incredible legacy that will go on forever and ever and ever. So we're in the book of 2 Timothy, and we're in chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 7 today. So uh, flip open your Bible or follow along on the screen or in the apps, uh, the app, uh, the notes section in the app, you can follow along there as well. Let me read this for us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt, for, or dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Father God, this is your word. It's breathed out by you to your apostle Paul many years ago but to edify and build up our church and churches around the world, even today, 2021. And God, I pray that we will engage our minds and our hearts as the Holy Spirit is seeking to speak through your word to us, to break us out of our just routines, just out of our apathy, and allow us to be more committed to your cause and to your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Four Sundays ago, we finished 1 Timothy, and here we are jumping back into 2 Timothy. And so Paul writes that he's an apostle by the will of God, according to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus. He's writing to Timothy, his beloved child. Now, we don't know exactly how much time passed between the letter of 1 and 2 Timothy. Many people believe there was another letter in between that we don't have. But we do know that things have gotten a lot worse for the apostle Paul. The last time we read about him, things were bad, but things have gotten worse for him. And this is the last manuscript, this is the last writings that we have from Paul. He's probably in his 60s, and it's very, very, very rough for him. He's been beaten numerous times. He's even been stoned. Large rocks were dropped on him and thrown at him by angry people. Scripture tells us he was shipwrecked three times and was adrift at sea for 24 hours. All right, All those things added up, plus a lot of other and this guy has lived a very tough physical life, and now he finds himself in a cold, damp, dark Roman prison awaiting execution. He's in a place where he knows it's inevitable, probably, that he is going to be executed. And so why would Paul go through all of the stuff he goes through? I mean, think about it. I mean, honestly, let your mind dwell on that, that just the one event, which is like stoning you know, and we'd be like, okay, uh, too much, and find some excuse 
to not to do what we're doing anymore because that's like real pain and real like stuff happens longevity to our health that we have health effects from that. And we're like, well, I can't really serve God if I keep doing that because I want to have the health left. Well, it didn't stop Paul. He kept pushing forward. Why? Why did he continue to push forward? Verse 1, it tells us, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. He's saying, God has called me through his election, through his, his promise of life. He's, he's called me, and he's told me that, that I need to go and spread this message of Jesus Christ, this life that's possible by faith through Jesus Christ, to everyone I come in contact with. And so Paul knew for himself that he said it was a promise. It was true. He believed it deep down in his heart, and it propelled him to take action. It just didn't propel him to attend a church on Sunday. It propelled him to ministry. And so he's writing to Timothy. He says, my beloved child there in verse 2. Timothy's still in Ephesus. He's still pastoring the church there. And this is a very personal letter, 2 Timothy, because Paul knows his time is coming up. He's going to be at the end here. And he really, really wanted to make sure that possibly he could see Timothy again before he passed away, before he died, before he was executed. And as Paul's sitting there, and he's thinking about the prospects of his death, there's nothing that brings clarity to your life more than that situation. Have you ever experienced a near-death situation? Have you ever had that happen to you? And all of a sudden, for like a week or a month, things are different? That you just look at the world differently because, man, I face death right in the face. Something, my priorities are completely different now. And we go for a while that way, and then we kind of fall back maybe into our old patterns. But Paul had the chance here... Here at the end of his life, he had the chance to write a final letter to Timothy, which he would know would be passed on to more and more people. And here we are today reading it. And he's going to pass on what's vital. And you would do the same. I would do the same. If I'm given, like, here you go. Here's a piece of paper and a pen. You're going to die in a few weeks. Write your last uh, words to your family or to your church family or to others. What are you going to do? You're going to write what really, really matters in your heart. And that's what Paul is doing here. That's what 2 Timothy is about. And Paul knew that this incredible mantle of leadership for the gospel would be passed on to Timothy, who, like us, was still a work in progress. He had been called by God. He had been equipped by God for the service, but yet we still find him timid, and he's not fully embracing the place of leadership that God's put him in, and he's not using the gifts to their fullest that God has blessed him with. So Paul had invested in many people. Timothy was just one of the many. But Timothy had a special place in Paul's heart. Timothy was his protege. In fact, we learn from this passage that probably Timothy's dad wasn't around, or he was very absent. He probably was not a believer and so Paul kind of stepped in, and he was a spiritual father for Timothy. He viewed him as a spiritual child, and he had this special place in his heart. In fact, in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, Paul wrote this about Timothy. He says, I have no one else like Timothy. He says, like a son with a father, he has served with me in preaching the gospel. He served with me. And look at, look at verse 2 again, to the, just the personal affection and love. He writes, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that may feel like a standard greeting you read in a, in, a, in a book of the Bible. It just feels like, you know, that's just what Paul's supposed to say. But 
he truly was writing for Timothy to embrace his calling, to truly own it. And Paul wanted Timothy to, to, he just wanted to see him before he died. He wanted to embrace him before he died. And look at verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I mean, he just had this deep personal connection with Timothy. And some of you know what I'm talking about here. It just this commitment, this, this connection through the gospel that is so deep. It's, it's like a, a family relationship. And some of you have those in this church. Some of you guys have others who you can just pick up the phone and you can call anytime, night or day, and they're going to be there for you spiritually, physically, whatever. Man, that's great. And if you don't have that, it's so sad to be on an island by yourself. And just doing church and not building those relationships. And I said this last week, K-groups are an awesome way for you to connect with other people. And if you're not involved in a K-group, please get involved in one. It gives you those gospel partnerships. And there's people who are going to love you and you can do life with. And I, I want you to have somebody who you can pick up the phone and say, look, I'm struggling. All right, the life's crazy. The kids are crazy. Just marriage is rough. I need some prayer. I need some help and they're there for you. Some of you have those people. It's, it's awesome. And he says about Timothy, he says he just wakes up praying for Timothy. Isn't that great to have somebody doing that? Maybe we have a mom or a grandmother who's done that for us, but to have a friend who, who wakes up in the night and they just start praying for you. Man, I just pray for Keller back there, God, that you will just fill him with your spirit, help him to walk strong. And Brian Parker over there, you know, and we're praying for each other. and We're lifting each other up in the gospel. That's what we need. We all need that. And then he desires to see Timothy, like I said, because Timothy will bring great joy to him. And so Timothy still needs encouragement. He still needs some additional mentoring to get him beyond where he's at. He's timid, as we talked about last book, that people are looking down on him because he's young. He feels inferior. Paul said to the Corinthians, Timothy, don't let them treat you this way as inferior. Now look at verse 6 and 7. He says, for this reason, Timothy, I'm, I'm trying to motivate you. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This was his ordination properly, where Paul and others laid hands on Timothy, and they prayed over him, and he was just given this incredible commission to go and to preach the gospel and carry the truth of Jesus to the world. And he tells him the spirits at work within him, and he says, fan that flame, fan the flame that God has given you, this gift, fan it into flame. You know, the nature of fires, if you build a fire, I built a fire yesterday outside my house. It was cool enough, and I wanted to get rid of some wood, and so I, I built this fire, but what does fire do? It naturally just kind of goes out over time. If you're not tending to the fire, if you're not adding more uh, fuel to the fire, it's going to eventually just die out and go away. And the same thing is true with Paul's words to Timothy, saying, look, you can be gifted and you can have these things, but if you're not using them, they could eventually just fade out. You don't lose your spiritual gift, I don't believe, but you know what? It can become rusty. It can be something that if you're not using it on a regular basis, you even forget really the Spirit's empowerment through that gift that you have. And as Chip talked about, Chip must have read ahead on this passage and maybe got an idea for his talk, or maybe just we're on the same page here talking about spiritual gifts. Listen, I mentioned this last week. 
if you're not using your spiritual gift or gifts for the betterment of this body, you're missing a huge blessing, but others are missing a huge blessing. Let's just go back to the fudge illustration, all right? Um, if your gift is like you love hospitality and you love serving and you're good at making fudge, use that by encouraging those who don't mind the calories, right? All right, give it to those who like to eat it and they don't mind, all right? Or if your gift of hospitality means that you just love opening your home and it just gives you great joy to open your home to other people, but now you kind of fall into a rut and, you know, the life's busy and you're running around all the time and it takes a lot of work to just clean your house before people come over. And so you've kind of fallen out of the habit. You've gotten rusty to do those things which God has given you the gift of hospitality to do. And you turn inward to yourself, and all of a sudden it's just about an intellectual relationship with God, and it's really not about loving other people, and you become very selfish even in your relationship with God. And it's just me and my life, my family, rather than using your gifts for the benefit of others. Paul says to Timothy, and I'm saying to you, fan that into flame, all right? Take that spiritual gift that God has given you and start fanning it into flame. Blow it so it begins to just burn brighter by using it. Dust it off if it's rusty, if it's old, if it's dusty and, and, and you're not used it for a while. Start using your gift that God has given to you. I put in the app today in case maybe you're like, well, oh, spiritual gift, what is that? Supernatural empowerment, uh, Chip mentioned, I don't understand that at all. Well, God tells us, and if you've gone through the membership class, which if you haven't, I hope you will, in the membership class, Daniel Carraway talks a great deal about spiritual gifts. We even do this spiritual gifts inventory, and it can kind of help direct you to possibly what your spiritual gift or gifts are. And there, if you're following along in the app today, there's a link to that, and you can try that later and see kind of where it leans. But the best way is just to jump in and to begin to serve others, and you'll see the things that really give you joy and those things that maybe are not quite your gift. And so I encourage you to jump in. But Paul says, don't be intimidated Timothy, by these people, use the gift that God's given to you. Use all the spiritual resources. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and he wants to be known through your gifts, the spiritual gifts that he's given. In verse 7, he says, For God gave us a spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit within us, gives us this power and this love and self-control. And so to be true to his calling, Timothy and us as well need to learn how to harness all three of these things that he mentioned here. Every believer has the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does the power bring? It brings courage. It brings boldness. And that's what I love about the, the, reading the, the book of Acts because you see the gifts of the Spirit in action and you see how these apostles, these former disciples, now apostles, who were scared to death when Jesus was crucified, and they ran off frightened and denied him, that after they received the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden they're just bold and courageous because the Spirit gives us power. When we engage the Spirit through the Word, He gives us power and courage. And so, as Chip mentioned about Debbie Friley and the gift of evangelism, Maybe that's your gift. Maybe, and we need people who are evangelistic to be active. Doesn't mean that all of us shouldn't be engaged in evangelism. We should, but some of you are particularly gifted in that area. But if it's become rusty and you haven't used it in a while, 
you're hurting the body. Because we need people coming in who are just putting their faith in Jesus. And then you have others down the line who love the discipleship, and they can grab that person and say, let me continue the work you started and disciple this person. And we see people are baptized. But if you're not using your gift of evangelism, the church as a whole hurts and we become stagnant. And so power, the courageous uh, fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit in your life. But then he adds love. He says power and love. And I, and I think this is very intentional. Why? Because power used in the flesh can be disastrous. I read this quote by N.T. Wright. He writes, he says, Power divorced from love quickly becomes de- uh, destructive, if not even demonic. Power divorced from love quickly becomes destructive, if not even demonic. And then he says the flip side is true too. Love without power can degenerate into wishy-washy sentimentality. And so we need both of those working in conjunction with one another. And so if you're all power and no love, people are going to feel controlled, abused, stepped on. You're going to use people. But if you have that love in conjunction with that power, they're working hand in hand. But if you're just all love and no gospel, no truth, then it's just wishy-washy stuff. And then he says self-discipline, power of love and self-control, self-discipline. We talked a lot about this one in the last series, and so I won't belabor this one. But again, I want to repeat what I said in that series. We must keep our eyes on the gospel even as we take a grip of determination and grab our hands around things and say, I'm going to do this and nothing's going to stop me. We need to be focused on the gospel because quickly self-control, self-determination can turn into self-effort and just behavior change and behavior modification. And so we grab hold of the task that God has put before us. I'm going to do this discipleship. I'm going to meet every week with this guy. I don't care what obstacles come my way. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm not going to let it stop me. And I look to the gospel as my strength and as grace that pours through me to be able to do that. Where I'm going to step into this situation. I'm going to use my gift in this area. But I, I, I need the gospel to continually give me the grace I need to do that again and again and again. So, again, practical, like hospitality. You can take a grip of your own and say, we're going to do this. We're going to have couples over more often to our home because that's what we need to do. And we're going to do it, babe. We're going to make this happen. And, and, and she's telling you, yes, I'm, I'm all for that. Let's do it. Let's do it. But if you're not focused on the gospel and the purpose and the grace that's there, two or three weeks in, you're like, oh, is this really worth it? Are we making a difference? Is this really impacting anybody? You know, I don't, you know, it's not, this, this is way too much work for what we're getting out of it. And you quit on your spiritual gift. Stay with it. Stay determined through gospel power. Now, if you've been following along closely, you know I skipped verse 5. I did that intentionally, all right? This is just a beautiful application to this passage, so I'm going to walk back to it and bring it together. Verse 5. He writes to Timothy, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What's Paul doing here? Paul's confidence in the authenticity of Timothy's faith serves as the basis for the commands we just read about. 
his post certainty that Timothy's faith is real and genuine and true serves as the basis for what he just told him and we read. So let me put it together and then explain. Verse 5 and 6, let's read it together. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So what is he saying? He's saying that as a result of your sincere, legitimate faith, which I know, Timothy, it dwells in you, as a result of that, it's only natural, it's only going to happen, the fact is, that you're going to want to fan into flame this gift. You're going to want to be fully used by God. You can't not want to do that because your faith is legitimate. It's real. It's true. And so the problem is so many times we look at our salvation as just, I've got my fire insurance for eternity. I know I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. And then we're, we're content pretty much to sit right there in that spot because I'm secure. I'm good. I'm good to go. But what what Paul's saying to Timothy is true for each of us is the authenticity, the legitimacy of your faith is shown in the fanning of your flame to use your gift that God gave you at salvation to use it to live for him and minister for him. So, so many times in our culture we have this mindset, I'm saved, I'm done. But God says if you're saved, you've gotten at least one spiritual gift, and that's to run the race, and serve Jesus. So I'm saved to serve. I'm saved to serve. And so if you're just satisfied with your salvation and no serving, there may be a problem at the heart of your salvation experience. There may be a problem that there's no desire to minister to other people. You check off your list, attend a church, done, all right, see y'all next week. But there's no really no earnest desire to make a difference. But the Holy Spirit who gave you salvation also gave you a spiritual gift to use to serve the body. And so you see how that just fits together perfectly. He's reminding him of his faith. And, and I love that. He, he just points him back to his, his heritage here. But before we, we talk about that, I want to I talk to you for a second on our, our ministry Think about this for a second, all right? Just let this settle in. Did you know that you're a priest? You're a priest? All right, depending upon your religious background, that's either really scary or really confusing, okay? It is for you. But priest? I'm a priest? Let me read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. I think it'll be on the screen as well. You are his holy priest. He's writing to Christians. This is Peter. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So think about it. He's given this picture here. If you know the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the priest was chosen by God, and he was enabled, empowered to go directly to God for the people. Chosen by God to go directly to God for the people priest represented God on behalf of him and ministered on behalf of God to the people. And so when Peter says, you're God's priest, it means a couple things. It means you have direct access to God. 
You don't have to go to confession. You don't have to go to a priest. You are a priest. And you go directly to God through Jesus Christ. He mediates on your behalf. You can go straight to God through Jesus. And then also, you've been gifted for ministry. Like a priest in the Old Testament, if the priest in the Old Testament, you see a priest, imagine a little collar, even though they didn't wear them back then. That's probably what comes to your mind, a priest. What if a priest, what if you knew a priest, and the only thing the priest ever did was go and preach on Sunday, and then the rest of his life pretty much looked like any sinner around, right? I mean, he didn't do anything good, didn't make a difference in anybody's life, really didn't care to impact others for Christ. He was just pretty much, I'm comfortable just being a priest on Sunday, taking a paycheck, but I'm not really so worried about praying and doing all those other things and representing God. You'd be like, dude, you're in the wrong profession, right? You need to find something else to do. Well, if I'm understanding Scripture correctly, which I'm sure I am here, if you're a priest, and you are, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit's in you, and you're sitting around not serving other people, it's as confusing and weird as the priest guy with the collar. Because it's your calling. You've been called You've been gifted. You have access to God's power. The Holy Spirit lives in you. We've been called to minister and serve and use our spiritual gifts. You're a priest. You're a minister is probably a better word to to grab hold of. You're a minister. You're saved to serve. And so the genuine faith, the sincere faith, moves us to service. So genuine faith equals power, love, self-control. You've been called, you've been equipped, you've been given a spiritual gift. Now go. Go and live it. Do it. Make it happen through the gospel's power. And here's the thing as I'm looking at verse 5. What we see is, man, it's such a good illustration for all of us. It starts in the home. It starts with us, with our family. He says this faith, he says, started in Lois, your grandmother, and in your mother Eunice, and now they've passed it on to you. Timothy was such a big asset to Paul in the gospel because of why? Because of his, the work of his grandmother and his mother. The grandmother and mother apparently came to faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah prior to Timothy, and they provided him with this environment in this household that was crucial to his conversion and his spiritual development. And so right there in the home, Timothy's faith was nurtured. He was pointed to Jesus. And now Paul can say, look, I'm reminded of this authentic faith that was passed on from your grandmother and to your mother and now to you. And now, Timothy, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fire you up. I want you to remember your conversion, remember the gift that was given to you, and I want you to get up and go and use it with power and authority and love and self-control. That's what I want you to do. And so the application for us is, guys, that our home, it starts at home. I, I, this is not scientific here, but it's just my opinion as many years in ministry, many as a youth pastor. And I say this a lot to people I talk to. When we authenticate our faith in the, in the house, when we're living it out in the home, a lot of the other stuff comes easy and natural. Because for some reason, the hardest place to be real is around those who know us the best and love us the most. And it's so hard sometimes to start in the home. But if you can begin to be the spiritual leader in the home, the other stuff will follow. The other relationships will begin to fall into place. You'll begin to speak the gospel and share Christ and live out through your spiritual gift. 
So I want to encourage you, gospel-powered parenting. And here's the problem, I think, with most of us is the fact that we can have these great ideas that we want to do something, but many homes, statistics show us, don't meet together consistently. Even as I was reading and studying for this, secular psychologists recommend four or five nights a week around the dinner table as a family. Four or five. That's secular people. Those aren't Christians. Secular people. But the world we live in, we're lucky to get one or two, aren't we? Because everybody's going different directions. It's crazy. And so the first thing is you just have to have a plan. And and, and the dinner table not only gives you an opportunity, but it also builds other things as well. It builds community in your household. It builds uh, into, you build into your children and to your family in ways that you might not otherwise do because it gives you an intentional time. And now some of you may be thinking, okay, so I'm a little nervous about this because that means I have to prepare like a lecture for my family, you know, three or four nights a week or whatever. No, I want to encourage you to begin to teach by asking questions. Begin to teach by asking questions. This forces your children to think and interact with the Bible. And so what we always did, we got uh, you know, either some resource cards. We had these little cards. They were gospel-centered, uh, gospel, I forget the name of the, the program right now, but they were little cards with verses on the back, and I'd read it and then ask an age-appropriate question to each child. And then as they got older, it went to a different devotion book and, and so on. But it, I just desired, and Michelle desired, just to have this time where we could talk about the gospel, talk about God's truth together. Now, the truth is, some of you will be devastated when if you try this because you expect your home to look like this picture here. Everybody's sitting around, they're in perfect harmony, and everybody's just on the same page, and the kids are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. All right, that's a myth. It won't happen. It, it, it won't. You know that. And you can't, if you're one of these orderly people and it's got to, everything just about to be just right, you're going to throw in the towel and give up very quickly. All right? That's not the way it works. Kids will be throwing things. You'll be saying, come on, pay attention, listen. But I do find that just the little strategy of asking questions helps bring them in. They love to answer questions and just be age-appropriate with it. And in the app, I gave a, a research, uh, resource to you for parents. It's called Big Truths for Young Hearts. It's a way to, in their age group, 6 to 14, walk through some systematic theology. We also, as Jeremy mentioned, have the Proverbs, the plants that Mitch introduced to us some weeks ago. And you, you read a proverb, a topic in a Proverbs, and you begin to talk about those around the dinner table. And you have a little plant that grows there, and it reminds you to be sure that you're being intentional about this. And so whatever you do, you need to do something. And so it starts in the home, and it moves out from there. So let's talk about application here. Head, heart, and hands. Head, you're called and you're equipped to be an effective minister for Jesus Christ. You, you, you are called and you're equipped to be an effective minister for Jesus Christ. If you're a believer and the Holy Spirit's in you, you've been given the authority and the power to do so. And you've been gifted. Accept the call. Don't be ashamed. And then in your, your heart, the deeper your affection for Jesus, the greater the impact you'll have. Not just on your children, while that'll be true, but on your city, upon those you're around, and even into the world. You'll want to give for causes like a church in Africa so they can have a dry, comfortable place to be able to hear the gospel preached each week. And then hands, it starts at home. starts at home. Here's what I want you to do. If, if you don't do any kind of household discussion, if you, if you have children, I encourage you to try to start with one day a week. 
and set a day where most of the people are home and that you can probably have the best chance to be successful. But shoot for one day a week. What we usually do is we shoot for three or four. Um, in the past, when we had more kids, it ended up being a couple. But now it's, you know, Harrison's the only one at home pretty much. And so uh, Millie's there. Sorry, Millie's not here right now. But, yeah, she's there part-time. She works a lot. But, but when Harrison, we're almost every day, okay? And so, bless you, you all right? Um, and, so, and, and so I encourage you to, to shoot for an amount, but don't worry about the fact that if you don't hit it, just be faithful. Keep doing it. Be, be consistent. Get something on the calendar. So our head, God's given you everything you need. Your heart, it drives from your affection for Jesus and your hands. Let's make it happen. Let's take a step for Jesus Christ this week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for your word that gives us truth and guides us to a deeper relationship with you, which in turn gives us a greater love for others, God. And I pray that you'll help each believer in here to learn more about their spiritual gift and what that is, and they'll begin to utilize that for the building up of this body, for the furtherance of your kingdom, for your glory, for your fame, God, not ours. And God, in a, in a world where statistically over half of kids raised in evangelical churches stray away and deny their faith, either by word or action, God, help us to be diligent at home. Help us to focus in on the legacy that we can pass on. And God, give us the boldness, give us the strength, give us the love, give us the self-control in order to make that happen. God, I pray you'll encourage us through your grace and through the gospel. I pray you'll help us not to feel beat up, but encouraged for the opportunity we have this week to begin to be a minister for you, a priest for you, to make a difference that will last for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.